Welcome to the spooky edition of Friends with Cinefits. I am your host, Alex McAllister. Thank you for listening. Like I just said, this is the spooky edition. We're going to be doing scary movies all October for like Halloween, obviously. And this week, we have one of my favorite spooky movies. I guess I can just call them horror movies. Um, I have one of my favorite horror movies and new friend, Kane Dennis. Kane, say hello. Hi, I'm Kane. Thank you for having me, Alex. Nice to meet you. We've yeah, got a little nope. bit of a chance to talk already, but I'm, I'm ready to dive into Hereditary with you. Yeah, me too. Um, this is You are the first guest that I didn't know existed until the podcast came out, and then you followed me and slid in them DMs. I, I think I slid in your DMs after I checked out your website. Yeah, I, I tweeted at you first, though. So Yeah, and um, I was going to do... One guest was going to be on twice this month, and then we decided, hey, we have to push that to later in the month, and then we might just make that into one episode. And then I figured I can't go my sister, my mom's co-worker, and then my mom, so I needed someone in the middle, and you fit that perfectly. And awesome. then it turns out my mom and your mom were friends when they were our age, so then, you know, another Jeannie McAllister connection I guess. pretty cool connection yeah harrisburg yeah. high school <laughs> so what movie did you choose and why i picked ari aster's hereditary because it is my favorite horror movie and i think that there is a whole lot that we can talk about with it it's a yes. very deep movie yeah i was very pumped as soon as you i tweeted and said hey i need someone for a horror month and you said hereditary and i was like i like this listener already and so, I'm pumped. I love Hereditary, as I'm sure everyone will find out. And all my friends know, every time I hang out with them, I make them watch it. But we'll get into the movie now. Um, I'm going to read the synopsis for it. Obviously, there's going to be spoilers. I say that every week now. Um, but I'm going to read the synopsis so you know a little bit what it's about and see if you want to watch it. I recommend everyone watch it. It's not like other scary movies. Like, I think this was the first horror movie that I actually liked, and it started getting me to expand my horizons because it's not like jump scares. Yes, there's like no jump scares. Exactly. They let, it's just like it's tense. like they let what's scary hide in the background and slowly mm -hmm. reveal itself to you. Exactly. So I'm gonna read the synopsis. This is tiny. Okay. When Ellen, the matriarch of the Graham family, passes away. Her daughter's family begins to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry. The more they discover, the more they find themselves trying to outrun the sinister fate they seem to have inherited. So, I think that's a good description because everybody always asks, hey, what's it about? And, like, you can't say without spoiling the movie. Yeah, it's hard to kind of go into it and give a real description without saying, oh, this happens, and this happens, and this happens. Exactly. So, hopefully, by reading that, you're like, okay, it's kind of a family drama that turns sinister. Um, and hopefully the listeners will like the sound of it and check it out i recommend everybody check it out i think i already said that but yeah whenever i first saw the trailers for it i was expecting like creepy little kid movie because mm -hmm. there's a creepy little kid yeah <laughs> but that's not what it is at all it is that's kind of the jumping off point but mm -hmm. it goes into a lot more 
Exactly. It's almost like a family drama that becomes a horror movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, not I even think... until the second half is it really all that scary. Yeah. Um, I heard Ari Aster, he did a podcast episode with Robert Eggers for the A24 podcast, and he said, like, Robert asked him, hey, is this a horror movie? Because, like, some people don't say it is. And he's like, yeah, it is, but whenever we were doing the... Um, like publicity for it for interviews he said it's a family drama that turns into like a tragedy and then he said the fact that he didn't say horror made people say like oh this isn't a horror movie yeah but he's like i was trying for a horror movie um so yeah it's definitely family tragedy drama as we'll get into the plot and everyone will find out um i'll get into the movie if you have anything to say just speak up Absolutely. Um, so, directed by Ari Aster in 2018, he's my favorite up-and-coming director. He's done Hereditary and then Midsummer. Yes. Which I love, and I hope to have you on like next month, and we can do that. I am very down. Okay. Um, he also... I don't know if you've seen any of his short films. I've seen Munchausen, but I've not seen The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. I have also seen Munchausen and not The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Did you like Munchausen? I loved it. I, I saw yeah. it described as like a twisted Pixar short, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. There's no exactly. dialogue. There's like almost happy kind of music throughout the whole thing. It just yeah. it makes it feel very bubbly on the outside, but it's so twisted. Yeah, Whenever I haven't you get seen towards it. The end. I think I saw it before Midsummer came out. Me too. And I showed yeah, I showed it to my mom. I don't remember the exact plot. I think it was like a kid going away for college. Yeah, and his mom is slowly poisoning him so that he can't leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah I've only seen it once though. I haven't it's not something I've same. rewatched since seeing it the first time. Same. But yeah, it was like right before I moved out here to Colorado and I like showed it to my mom. And then <laughs> I was like, Wait, this is kinda is she gonna poison me? She got the idea from this? Maybe bad timing. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that was yeah, it was kind of like a Pixar, but much darker. Yes. Um, so the budget for this was ten million dollars, and the box office it ended up making eighty point two million. So that's really good, especially for his like directorial debut. Yeah, for his first feature, that's that's amazing. And it was also A twenty four's highest grossing film, and it still is. Oh really? Um, I didn't know that. Lady Bird is right behind it in second with seventy-eight point five million, and Moonlight's in third. I'm not sure exactly how much it made. I figured Moonlight would be up there. Yeah. I didn't know Lady Bird was that popular. Either. I didn't either until I started looking into it. I I've actually not watched Lady Bird. It's one of the few like hmm. big A twenty four movies I haven't seen yet. Yeah, I liked it. I liked um, Eighth Grade more. I think I don't remember the actress who's in that, but. I don't know why. I just remembered liking that one better. Um, so back to Hereditary. It has a 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is good. Most of the popular horror movies that like come out recently, everyone's like, hey, check these out. And they have like terrible reviews. Yeah. And then I never check them out. And I think this one I found out from last podcast on the left. I don't know if you listened to them or not. but I haven't yet. Yeah, they're like a true crime comedy podcast, and they just like offhandedly mentioned one episode, like, 
oh, we went and saw Hereditary this weekend. It was awesome. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to check it out. Yeah. That's... And then I didn't change my life. That's great. Yeah. There was a bit of a discrepancy between the critics and the audience, though. It has a 67% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, it got a D-plus cinema score, which is yeah. really, really bad. I think yeah. people were expecting traditional horror movie, and that's not what they got at all. Exactly. And I've known... Like, I noticed whenever I show some people this, they either hate it, or they're like, that was really good, but it's not what I'm into. Yeah. And I'm just... I think I'm just a little fucked up, and this is a weird <laughs> movie, and so I'm just... I love everything about it. But... It's one of those where, like, I can see why people wouldn't like it, but for me, it just hits the spot. Yeah, same for me. I understand why people wouldn't like it, but for me, it's it's just awesome. It hits me right, too. Yeah. I like weird okay. movies, though. What can I say? Same, yeah. Um, so, his Ari Aster's next movie is going to be a four-hour nightmare comedy, which I'm excited for. I don't really know what it means yet. But I hope we get it soon. I hope so, too. I hope that COVID hasn't pushed it back too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's kind of surprising. Uh, Hereditary came out in 2018. Midsummer came out in 2019. And, like, Midsummer seems like it would be very tough to shoot. Yeah. Especially they shot it in, I think, Norway or Sweden. Uh, so I'm surprised they got, like, that out within a year, I guess... It could be early 2018, late 2019. doesn't matter. Um, but, yeah, I'm surprised. Like, he's pushing stuff out, and I hope he keeps pushing stuff out, especially this type of unique horror stuff. Me too, especially if he can, if he can keep having that quick of a turnaround time between mm-hmm. and having such great ideas. I, I'll watch anything he puts out at this point. Yeah, exactly. So I'll get into the cast. Um... Most notably is Toni Collette, who's incredible in this. She was in The Sixth Sense by M. Night Shyamalan, who we talked about in the Last Airbender episode. Oh boy, Last Airbender. (laughs) I could talk about that movie, but we'd be here for another whole hour. Exactly. Um, She's in Knives Out, which, hey, if you want a good review of Knives Out, check out shotreverseshotfilm.com. I said that right, correct? Absolutely, that is perfect. Yep, um... That's our friend Kane here. That's his website where he reviews movies. So do you have anything to say on that right now, or do you want to save it for later? Uh, if we're talking about Tony Collette, first off, yes, Knives Out is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I I like The Last Jedi, but I feel like it kind of redeemed Ryan Johnson to the general public. Because, mm-hmm. like, everybody hated him. I and then also like The Last Jedi. No one else does, so we'll have to talk about it yes, sometime. Yes, absolutely. But Tony Collette... I mean, I don't want to just throw the word snub around, mm-hmm. but for the Oscars, she was snubbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's insane in this. Like, my probably my favorite performance I've ever seen in a movie. Like, she's incredible. And I read, I think it was on the um, special features of the movie, actually. But they asked her about the movie, and she said when her agent asked her about it, she said... I don't want to do anything this heavy. Like, I can't do this. And then her agent was like, no, you are perfect for this. You're going to do it. And then she did it and said, like, she's so glad she did. But it's also the hardest job she ever had. I bet. Just because she's so emotional in this. And, like, 
She said you have to pull from, like, your deepest, darkest feelings about, like, your own family so that you can relate. And so, yeah, she's incredible in this. I can imagine Um, it was an incredibly emotionally exhaustive role. I mean, she was mm -hmm. just fantastic. Is that that year Olivia Coleman ended up winning the Oscar for the favorite? And I, I really I like seen that. I really like Yorgos Lanthimos, but the favorite is my least favorite of his movies. Okay. It just, I haven't seen it. It didn't really grip me. I thought she okay. was good in it, but I didn't think Oscar winning. Hmm. Yeah, I think Tony Collette definitely deserves all the praise for this movie. Um she's also in I'm thinking of ending things. Have you seen that? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Been planning on it's, watching that very soon. She's really good in it too. She's weird. Like her character in this, Knives Out, and I'm thinking of ending things. They're all like super different, but she adds like the same. I don't know, like charisma to each yeah. one. Yeah, she does. So I'll move on to. I guess we'll go Alex Wolf. He plays Peter. Um, he's in the Jumanji movies, which is probably where most people would know him from. And then he got his start in the Naked Brothers Band on Nickelodeon. Yep. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I, I have heard of it. I watched it occasionally as a kid. It's, okay. It's not great. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it would be. <laughs> not great I saw, at all. like, the like, poster covers or whatever of it, and I was like, yeah, that looks terrible. Um... He is a method actor, which they talked about on the special features too, which I don't, I guess I don't have any room to say, but I don't like method actors. Like, it's just weird to me, but they said like, he, he was just like sad and depressed for the entire shoot. And then the last shot or the last day of shooting, he was like, Hey guys, I'm Alex Wolf. It's nice to finally (laughs) meet you. And like, that's so weird. That is weird. I I mean, I think do what you got to do to get the performance right, but yeah. I feel like a lot of people use that as an excuse to just be hard to work with. Exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm just going to be a dick, but I'm going to call it method acting and just mope mm-hmm. around on set all the time until we're done and then act normal. Yeah. But also, so Ari Aster, like, encouraged them to be difficult, I think, because he had... Peter and Molly Shapiro, who plays Charlie, he had them hang out off set or whatever and, like, go out to eat and stuff. But he was like, you have to play the character of Charlie. Yeah. Like, you have to... If he wants to cross the street, you don't want to cross the street. And so he's like... Alex Wolf in the interview, he's like, it was incredibly frustrating and embarrassing, but he said, like... When we shot the movie, it was just like we were playing, like, just, we were just being ourselves. Like, that's yeah. the type of relationship we had. I think for some films it can work, especially one like this where you need a tense family environment mm-hmm. kind of throughout the entire movie. Because, excuse me, if you have to have an environment where everybody's stressed out, everybody's tense, maybe that'd kind of be conducive to that if they are acting like that anyway. Mm-hmm. So, whenever it's time to film, it's like, oh, everybody's stressed, everybody's sad. For this movie, <laughs> I think it would work. Yeah, definitely. And another thing I've noticed, I me and my roommate were talking about it earlier, is like, this isn't your average, like, Hollywood family. Like, they aren't the most attractive people. Like, 
this literally just looks like a real family. Yeah. And then they have like real family issues that come up. And so I think that makes it so much more relatable. Um, but hey, I just went off on a tangent there. Oh, you're good. Okay, uh, so <clears throat> I already mentioned Molly Shapiro as Charlie. She, I couldn't find anything about her. Like, what else she's been in? No, even and, in the credits for this, it says introducing her. So yeah. it was her first ever role. And I looked on IMDb. She may have been in, like, a short or TV show or something, but nothing yeah. else movie-wise. Yeah, and so from the special features, I learned that um, she won an honorary Tony for wow her work in Matilda on Broadway when she was 10 years old. Wow. That's and wild. her and Alex Wolf went to the same acting school, I think. And so he knew of her. And so I guess that's how she got her role. But, man, she's creepy in this. Oh, she is. She's perfect in it. Yeah. And the facial prosthetics and stuff they use on her just makes her mm-hmm. look... She just looks so, like, unique. Like, I've never exactly. seen a character that looks like her in a movie. <laughs> yeah, So she's... It's, it's striking whenever she's just standing there watching or drawing in her notepad. It's like, what is she thinking? Mm-hmm. You can't tell and... what's going on in her head. From the trailers, you think, like, she's going to be the main antagonist. Like, there's something wrong and evil with her. And that's not the case. We'll get into it. But that's not the case. And so, I think, yeah, she's incredible in this. But the way that they utilize her is, is, like, so surprising. And I think that's what makes the movie. Well, that's part of what makes the movie, but... And next is Gabriel Byrne from, or as Steve, he was in The Usual Suspects, and he's in the Vikings TV show. Yeah, this was the first thing I saw him in. Yeah, he's, I'd seen he's Vikings, like, but... He's like the on, most normal character in the entire thing. Like, yeah. he's just this normal man stuck in a house where everything is just batshit crazy all the time. And he's trying to keep things normal and just <laughs> losing that fight... Every step of the way. Yep. And I mentioned it to you earlier, but I have the Hereditary screenplay book from A24. And there's a couple differences in it. And one of the big ones is that, like, him and Annie are, like, much more of a real couple in the book. Like, in the screenplay, like, they're more lovey-dovey and stuff like that. And in the the movie, they're not, which I kind of like because, you know, you go over to your friend's house, you know, it's, the parents aren't always just lovey-dovey. Yeah. You know, sometimes they're just in separate rooms. They don't even have to talk. So I liked that depiction of them in this. There's also other changes from the screenplay book that I'll bring up later. A little sneak peek, I guess, is what that was. Awesome. And then the last actress that I can think of, it's a pretty small cast, but is Anne Dowd as Joan or Joni. She was in The Handmaid's Tale as Aunt Lydia on Hulu, and she's really good in that. But they said, like Ari Aster said, she's so, she's a warm person, and she plays such a warm character in this, but as you can Later on in the movie, her, like, warmness becomes more sinister. Yes, she is so scary in those scenes where she's yelling across the street or waving (laughs) from across the street. 
She just looks like a normal woman you'd see anywhere, just like a nice older lady, but whenever she's just sitting across the street waving at the kids, it is terrifying. It's like bone <laughs> exactly. chilling. Yeah. She's awesome in this. Like, you... I don't know. There's so many twists in this movie, not just, like, plot-wise, but, like, where you think it's going to go, who you think is who. It There's so many twists, and you're just never... You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, Aster really knows how to play with your expectations. Yeah. So, do you have anything you want to go into about, like, the movie or the production before we get into the actual movie? Uh, yeah, I do want to say that it was filmed in Utah, which is kind of surprising. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever heard of anything this on this scale being filmed in Utah before. Yeah. And I didn't know that until yesterday when I was researching the movie a little bit further before I watched it. So I thought that was kind of cool. I figured it's probably just done in California and the house was a soundstage or whatever, but shot in Utah. And also, um, Powell, Pog- Powell Pogorzelski is the cinematographer, yeah. and he's worked with Ari Aster on everything that he's made so far. Mm-hmm. And the cinematography in this is incredible. Basically, Annie's miniatures that she's making throughout the movie, the actual environments the characters are in throughout the film become indistinguishable from her miniatures. Yeah. And it makes it feel so tense and claustrophobic, and I just love it. Yeah. I I think the, like, the... The setting of this movie is just incredible. Like, you said, the house is awesome. I think they did end up... In the special features, they had a soundstage where they did... Some stuff they said they they found the house in Utah, but the they said the cost to they'd have to like just completely redo the whole interior for what they were hoping, and they just said that wasn't worth it at all. So then they used the exterior there, and that's another difference with the screenplay book is it's it was supposed to be snowy like all set in the snow. Um, but they said that they wanted the movie to be set in the spring instead of winter. And they decided to like utilize the greens, like the natural greens that were already at the house. And I think I liked that better than if it was just all snow. It added some like beauty to the movie, I guess. I think so, too. Did you see The Lodge? No. The Lodge is like a copy of Hereditary in the snow, and it's one of the most bland, terrible horror movie, movies I've ever seen. I really didn't like it. So, okay. Anything, I saw you had a review for it, <laughs> but I hadn't seen it. Anything to further distance this from The Lodge is a good thing, I think. There you go. Do you know which one came out first? Hereditary did. Okay. Yep. Which People makes The Lodge feel even more like a copy. Yeah, that's funny. Okay, so now we'll get into the movie. I, I'm not really sure where to start, I guess, other than saying where the movie starts out at is Annie's mom dies, and they're at her funeral, and she has this monologue where she's talking about her mom, and she says, like, she was a very private woman. She had private rituals and private friendships and then she's like I feel like I'm betraying my mom just by saying this to all of you because she didn't know anyone that was at the funeral but there were a lot of people and turns out that her mom should we spoil it now how do you what do you think I I think we can go into full spoilers okay I think we're good turns out her mom 
runs a cult. For King Payman, they're trying to, I guess, give him a human host. And it needs to be a male's body. So they're going to try to get Peter's body to be the male host of King Payman. And it's, you can tell with that introduction that the relationship between the mom and the daughter, like Annie and her mom, is not great. And I think, like, later on in the movie, whenever she goes to the, like, grief counselors or whatever, the grief meeting, she expands more on that. But, like, the mom was just creepy. She would take the Charlie when she was a baby and breastfeed her. Like, she mentions that. She says, you know, even when you were little, I can breastfeed... Uh, blah, blah. I'll have to do that. Even when she, she was little, she had to breastfeed her, and like the actual mom couldn't, but the grandma was breastfeeding Charlie. And I think that is because they mentioned that Annie didn't want to let the grandma have Peter because they, you know, they weren't talking at that time. So when she had Charlie, the grandma just sunk her claws in and tried to make Charlie just, like, hers. Yes. There's a couple things I'll say, um, starting with the funeral scene. I love the choice to start off the movie. The first frame is an excerpt from the obituary of the mother. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cool visual way to start off the movie. But also, during the funeral service, whenever Annie's doing the eulogy, she's wearing the cult's symbol as a necklace. And in the casket, the grandmother has that on as well. But, um, yeah, whenever she goes to the um, grief counseling or the group support group, um, she kind of starts unloading about her family. And she mm-hmm. talks about her, how her brother killed himself. Mm-hmm. And she said that he had schizophrenia. But he was accusing their mother of trying to put people inside of him, mm-hmm. which is exactly what she was doing by trying to find a host for payment. Exactly. So there's, and... lots of, there's lots of things that are said in this movie that end up becoming purely literal later on. Like, she says her mother had private rituals. That can just be taken as, oh, she likes to be by herself. She does her own thing. But no, she had literal rituals with this cult Mm -hmm. trying to find the host for payment. Yeah, and she said her dad had, uh, I think, schizophrenia and DID or something and ended up starving himself to death, which does not sound like a pleasant way to go out. Not at all. So... Like, with all this, this is at the beginning of the movie, and you can already tell, like, okay, this family has its issues, like pretty much all families have, you know? Everybody has their own issues. And then this just... It's just a roller coaster from here. Like, so Peter is the teenage boy. He likes to smoke pot, and, you know, he's just an average dude. He's looking at girls' butts and stuff. And he's trying to go to a party to hook up with, I can't remember, Bridget, I think is her name? I think it's Bridget. Yeah, and his mom was like, he asked if he could go to a school cookout or something, and his mom says, oh, are you going to take Charlie? And he says, I don't know, does she want to go? Did you ask her? Have you asked her? Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like super tense, you can tell, like, their relationship isn't 
ideal, and it gets into that later in the movie, as we'll expand on, but she essentially was sleepwalking and tried to kill him, which is kind of intense, you know, especially, like, you're waking up and seeing one of your parents try to kill you, and, like, yeah, they're sleepwalking, but, like, you should always be safe from your parents, you know? Like, you shouldn't have to worry about that. And that's, like, one primal emotion that all humans have is, like, hey, this is my parent. I feel safe around them. At least they should have that. And this is, like, you're waking up, you're drenched in paint thinner, and your mom's holding a match. Doesn't look great. No, and there'd always be that little inkling of doubt, I think, that she was Mm -hmm. sleepwalking. Exactly. That'd be an easy excuse. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So, um, after the funeral, Charlie says she wanted me to be a boy mm -hmm. about the grandmother, which is another hint that they needed a male host. Which is interesting because, like, there's one of my friends is going to have a kid, and I ask everyone, like, oh, what do you hope it is? And they're like, oh, we hope it's a boy. And, like, it's weird because I always kind of relate it to hereditary. Yeah. Like, why do they want it to be a boy? Yeah. What do they have going <laughs> on that we don't know about? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that is, like, a funny... It's kind of, like, off... It's just, like, a one-liner that isn't really important, like you said, but then later on in the movie it has more sinister meaning to it. Yeah, it's all. it all just seems planned out so well. Exactly. And, um, like the writing in this is incredible. It is. The shot of Annie in the workshop where mm-hmm. her mother is like peeking out at her from the darkness, it really just kind of shows the specter that she leaves over the entire movie even after mm-hmm. her death. Like she's an important character even though she's never in the movie as a living person. Exactly. The inciting incident is her death, but she's still so important because these people are carrying out her wishes even when she's gone. Mhm. Yeah, she's... That is one kind of issue I had with the movie, is, like, if the room isn't pitch black, you'll miss some things. Um, Like, I got lucky I saw it in the movie theaters. I think I was with... I went and saw it with someone, and it was a scene later in the movie where it's dark, and Annie, you can barely see her. Yeah, she's up on the wall. And I, like... It's a long shot, and it takes a while for you to notice, like, is that, is that someone, like, up in the corner, like, of a room? And I, like, nudge the person next to me. I was like, do you see that? And they were like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it, like, made it so much more evil. But, yeah, like, I think whenever I showed it to my parents, it wasn't that dark out because... My sister was there, and she doesn't like watching scary movies at nighttime. Sorry, Erica. I'm <laughs> letting everyone know you're a scaredy cat. <laughs> but you couldn't see that Annie was up in the corner, and so I had to like point it out, like, hey, there's someone up in the corner. You just can't see it. Yeah. And so that kind of sucked, but hey, what can you do? I think the fact that it was so, like, poorly lit is what made it scarier is that like you don't you might not see that she's up there for a while and yeah like you said the mom in the corner is it does that there and then um 
with Peter in his bedroom. Yeah, like one night he that's wakes mirrored up. later on. Yeah, he wakes up and sees his sister, which we'll get into to her now. Um, yeah, I mentioned it earlier. They were going to a party. His the mom ends up saying like, "Hey, Charlie, you have to go hang out with other kids." They go and. Charlie's allergic to nuts, and she eats, like, chocolate cake with nuts on it, and she goes up to Peter, he's smoking weed with some people in the bedroom, he thinks he's gonna get laid, he's talking to the girl, he's like, do you like weed? I have really good weed. She's like, yeah, let's go upstairs. <laughs> the dialogue with the teenagers in this is, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's so stilted and awkward, but it comes across perfectly, I think. Yeah. Also, the music... There, oh, I can't. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's a Flatbush Zombie song. Yeah. Who I like, and it's like, it sounds kind of stupid, but like it fits perfectly yeah, with the environment. It's kind of a stupid environment. It, yeah. it really is, and they're trying to show that. They're not trying to. I mean, I guess they are kind of making it realistic because it's a teenage party, but mm-hmm. it just—it's so different than anything else in the movie. That yeah. party scene really sticks out to me because it's. It's like the most normal feeling thing because everything else is just so messed up. That's true. I never thought of that. But, yeah, he's up smoking weed in the room and or she leads him up to the room and there's other people in it and you can see he's like, oh man, I thought we were about to hook up. But then they just are smoking weed and Charlie comes up and just like opens the door and everyone's just like freaked out because she's an ugly little girl. Creepy. Um, And she's like, my... I think my tongue is getting bigger or something. And he's like, oh, crap. And so he takes her out to the car. They're speeding down the highway. And she can't breathe. She puts her head out the window. There's a deer laying in the road, and he swerves, hits a telephone pole, decapacitates his sister. And then that's the moment where you're like, this movie is not what I thought it was going to be. Because yeah. he... Like we mentioned, you think it's going to be, like, the little girl's evil, like, she might have, like, a ghost friend or something, the ghost ends up killing everyone or something. That's what I expected. Yeah. This this is probably 30 minutes into the movie or so, and what you think is going to be the main character just dies. And I love that scene. It's There's so much going on because... They drive past that pole on the way to the party. And the camera's following the car, and then you get to the pole, and it stops. And the logo from the necklace is etched into the pole. And so, you you know, the cult had planned for Charlie to, to die. So, like, did they kill a deer and, like, place it in the road and know he's going to swerve? Like... Or is it some level of, like, subconscious, like, not, not, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, you probably don't know. When a ghost not, is in your body, they, like, take over. Like, possession? Yeah. I like, is it some type of, like, subconscious possession where, like, they do these rituals and it will, like, make you do stuff you don't normally do? It may be, because, um, Payman possesses Annie. Mm-hmm. At the end, yeah. Whenever you see the blue light after her husband bursts into flames, you see her yeah. face just turn, and you know that she's controlled. So exactly. maybe he was under under Payman's control when that happened. 
Yeah, and like how how did they know there were going to be chocolate and nuts? Like exactly. Did the cult have so much influence to where like they could do that? And later in the movie, so one of his friends is actually in the cult. Like at the end of the movie when they're up in the treehouse, um it's just one of his friends like kneeling down. Um so I guess like his a couple like oh I keep stuttering. Oh, a couple of his friends could have been in on it or like their parents and stuff like that. And yeah. it just ends up being a much bigger thing than you think. I, I will kinda of backpedal on what I just said about him maybe being possessed when he was driving because mm-hmm. if Payman could have possessed him then then they wouldn't have needed the ritual later on. Yeah, that's so, true. He would have just possessed him if it would have been that easy, but I guess all those other things had to take place first. Yeah. But, I don't know. It seems like a complicated yeah, it is. way to go about possessing one dude, but... Like, you, you'd you think there would have been an easier way to decapitate the girl. Exactly. Rather than putting a deer in the road and planning that post. But one yeah. thing I will say about Charlie is um, it's an interesting character because her mother makes the miniatures. Mm-hmm. And a good way they show you how corrupted she was by her grandmother is that she also makes miniatures, but they're mm-hmm. dead animals and trash, and she cuts the head off a bird. So she has like her mother's interests, but they're twisted and demented because of the influence of her grandmother. And that also kind of goes on like the type of possession thing where... So was payment in her body? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Pay- because she, when she's in class, she's building one of her miniatures... And then the teacher's like, hey, you got to finish your test. And then a bird flies into the window and kills itself. But she doesn't flinch. She doesn't even look. And it was like she controlled it. Yeah. Okay. I think it was kind of like her being mad that she was distracted. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up, yeah, like you said, cutting the head off the bird and using it. Which is kind of replicated later on with her head. Yes. And I and I think the reason they get her head taken off is because I think that's what has to happen for payment to pass to the next mm-hmm. post. That makes sense. Because then it goes, goes to, to Annie. Annie. And then Piano Wire cuts <laughs> her own head off. That is... <laughs> we'll get into that later. Yes. The final scene. I think there's... There's a lot to go into with that. There's three parts in this movie. There's Up Until Charlie's Death... And then there's after Charlie's death where it's just tense because Peter, his sister gets decapitated. He's high as shit. And he just stops. He starts to glance back. Sees like, there's no head on that body. Yeah. Slowly just starts driving. Just goes home, parks in the driveway, goes up to bed and just lays there. And then it cuts to, it's him still laying in bed. It's like a close-up of his face. But you hear his mom waking up. Yes. She's like, hey, I'm going to run to the store, go I, get some supplies. I love that you don't see her reaction. They just exactly. hold firm on his face. And you hear and, her screaming and reacting. Yeah. And they resist the urge to show you her. And then exactly. they finally cut away to the decomposing, ant-covered head. Yeah. And it's one of the most shocking edits cuts mm-hmm. i've ever seen it's crazy whenever yeah, i saw it the first time incredible. i was like this is unbelievable yeah and then after that i think it'll it cuts to 
like just the mom weeping. She's like on the ground. Um, yes. Her husband's like hugging her, and she's just like, "I want to die. I don't want to be alive." And then it's her weeping at the funeral, where it's just like it's so sad. It's just like a little kid's casket going into the ground, and I couldn't imagine. I'm not even a parent, and I couldn't imagine what it, that would be like. I think the grief is shown in a pretty realistic way in this movie. Because yeah. from that point on, everything changes. It's like a switch is flipped in the family. It's like they're really not even a family anymore. It's like they're just mm-hmm. different people that are being forced to be around each other because of proximity, and the tension is insane. Yeah, and everyone... Well, I guess it's mostly just Annie and Peter. They They feel guilty, but they also blame each other. And... That just adds to, like what we said, the mom tried to kill him when she was sleepwalking earlier in their lives. And so now they have that scene at the dinner table, which I think Tony Collette is incredible in. Yes. She acts kind of like a little girl where she's just like not eating her food. Like she's just upset. And Peter's like, are you okay, mom? And like you, as soon as he says that, you're just like, "Oh no, you shouldn't have said no. anything." And she's like scoffing at him, and then she's just like, "You can't own up to what you did." She's like, "What you did was terrible." And then it's quiet, and he just replies with, "What about you, mom?" And she's like, "What?" And he's like, "She didn't want to go to the party, so why was she there?" And it's because the mom made him take her. Yep. And so. Obviously, like, he shouldn't have lied and gone to a party. That wasn't a school barbecue. Exactly. But then, you know, you could tell she knew because she was like, is there going to be drinking involved? And he's like, yeah, no, it's a school thing. And, like, you can tell she's like, no, it's not. She's like, well, that's a crock of shit. Are you going to be drinking? (laughs) Yeah. Because she knows he's lying. Exactly. And so it's weird, like. That she made him take his little sister to something she knew wasn't a school event. But, yeah, that entire scene, they just, like, are yelling at each other. You can see, like, she looks like she wants to rip his head off. Yeah, she's so, so angry, and it's so believable. Like, that is where everything that was bottled up throughout the entire movie just explodes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... She's great in the entire thing, but that dinner table scene is her best performance in the movie. Yeah, I like that and... The seance near the end. Oh, yeah, where she's where freaking she's, out. Like, come on, come on, come on, we have to do this, we have to do yeah. this. <clears throat> yeah, so um, crazed. She said that it was written to be shorter. And she was like, I can't get across how much, like, how important this is to these characters unless I add something more. And so that's, like, the only line of improv in the movie is she's like begging them to like do this with her and i think that's awesome because she like she even said like ari aster wrote a beautiful script it was just there it was just a little too short just to needed get the point a little across. something extra yeah and so she's like she said she expanded on it and ari aster normally makes them do a lot of takes and as soon as she did it he's like okay we're done that's it like that's what we needed and so I think that's incredible. Like, he seems to be, like, kind of a dictator, I guess. Like, he's strict about his script, and, like, rightfully so. He's incredible. 
but he was still like, okay, she did this, and it needed to be there, and I didn't realize that. So I think that was awesome and a I think, pretty cool thing to learn. I think so, too. I think you got to be able to have a little bit of flexibility with the script. Mm-hmm. But then again, in a movie like this where everything is so detailed and so planned out, if you start changing things, and there might be things at the end that don't add up. But Exactly. I don't yeah, think you anything could, was twisted to that point. You could literally just like change change around like the order of words, and it just wouldn't have made sense yeah. for later in the movie. It's incredible. Okay, so I'm trying to think what to talk about between this dinner scene and then the seance. I think... I can't remember if they find out that her mom was dug up. I think Steve finds out um, that Annie's mom, the grandmother, who's in charge of the cult, was dug up at the cemetery and her body's missing. And later on you find out it's up in the attic. They start talking about, like, they'll walk in the house and be like, what's that smell? What's that smell? And then that's it. And then later on, there's, like, flies flying around. And so watching it the second time, it actually goes in this order. I There's flies flying around, and I was like, oh, this is when they find out that the body's upstairs. But instead, Annie gets up and walks to Peter's room, and he's covered in, like, ants and flies just laying in bed. And then she's like... She looks horrified, and it cuts to him, and he's like, Mom, what are you doing? And he's just awake, and there's nothing there. She has this terrifying face on her face. She says that in the movie <laughs> yes. at one point. She's like, you sit there with that face on your face. Um, but he, she just has the terrified look, and he's like, Mom, what are you doing? And then she just blurts out, like, I never wanted to have you or something like that. And then covers her mouth. Yeah. And then he's like, what? And then she's like, okay, like, I think her mom pressured her into having another or having a kid. And then they ended up having him. Um, and then as they talk and the camera's switching between them, they start getting wetter and wetter. And then a light will flash and it's like she's holding a match and they're covered in paint thinner and then she wakes up and it was all a dream and so that's when you're like you see holy crap like she has some real psychological issues going on yeah, real with her relationship issues. with her son yeah um and I guess we should talk about like while all of this is going on it just kind of cuts to Annie and Joni like their friendship blossoming um they meet at the grief event where you just talk about grief and then she goes once and then doesn't go back for months until charlie dies and then she goes again and she's thinking about going in but she starts to drive away and is like i can't do this and that's when Joni runs up to her car and is like hey i recognize you why aren't you going in and then she's like how are you dealing with your loss or whatever of your mom and she's like actually I just lost my daughter too and then Joni's like yeah my son and grandson drowned and then they like start this friendship over their grief yeah and it starts 
getting sinister because Joni goes to a seance where someone's there. He wanted skeptics and believers to go, and they, like, brought someone back. I don't know what that's called. Um, I guess it's a seance where you just, like, bring yeah. someone back from the dead and they talk I'd or whatever. I'd say it's a seance. Yeah, and Joni's like, hey, come over and we can do it. Not sexually. I mean, like, we could do a seance. <laughs> but, you can bring somebody back from the dead. Yeah, and she's like, come over. And so she comes over, and her, like, grandson is writing on the chalkboard, and, like, a glass is moving. And that's another scene I like. They do it twice. Yeah. is It shows Annie go look under the table and make sure nothing's there. Looking for magnets moving. or something moving everything yeah. around. And then she looks back up, and then later she tries to do that bring charlie back and steve her husband he does the exact same thing he looks under a table and then looks back up and is like okay this isn't good no i i really like the seance with um with jean jean her name is jean right i thought it was joan joan yeah joni i was thinking yeah it was joan Annie goes to have the seance with Joan, and Joan deceives Annie into thinking that she's bringing back her grandson, but she's really bringing payment in and, like, binding him to their family. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's cool. So, like, this, the spirit of payment is, like, a white light that just goes out, and it's kind of cool. You, As the movie culminates to its incredibly tense, suspense-ridden climax um you see it like it's at the house at one point you see it in charlie's room you see it at the school where peter is and that's one of the scenes i like is he's in class and he like looks over he sees the light and it like goes over to like it's not a mirror but it's like a window where he can see his reflection and he looks over and it's him smiling, but then it cuts back to him, and he's not smiling. He's just, like, scared. And I think that's when he just smashes his face in. Yep. Yep. Um, and his hand, whenever he does the, like, contortion with his hand. Yeah. At the end of the movie, the statue that has Charlie's head, it's holding mm-hmm. a staff, and it's of an arm that is in that same position. Exactly. And so, yeah, he just, like, I. it looks like he's having... Not a seizure, but some type of attack. Like, his hand's raised, and then the teacher calls on him. And he's like, wait, Peter, are you okay? And then he just smashes his face into the desk, like, three times. And then he jumps back, just screaming, terrified. And then the dad, Steve, comes and picks him up. And I like the scene. Steve's driving him back, and he goes to a red light, stops, and then he just starts weeping. Steve does. Like... Peter's passed out in the back or whatever. And that's when you see, like, he's been holding the entire family together. Yeah. And then now he's like, I don't know what to do. Like He's losing it, too. Yeah, he's like, my son was smashing his face into the desk? Like, that doesn't make sense. And then he goes home, and Annie's like, hey, I can bring Charlie back. <laughs> just we gotta do this One seance. thing after another, just... Yeah, and then she's shit. also, I can't remember the order this goes in, but she's also like, no, they do the seance first. Okay, I'll, I'll stop then. Um, yeah, we'll get into the seance, I guess, but 
this the shot where they do the seance is one of my favorite ones it actually the screenplay book has um I, I can't remember what it's called like shot by shot notes or something and it's Ari Aster writing like okay this is exactly how I want this scene to be shot and it starts they have like the miniature model at the bottom of the stairs where it's like a house on top of a house and like dirt and stuff yeah and it pans up that and then it'll slowly rotate and it comes to them walking down the steps and then it rotates out and follows them out to the living room and then it just keeps it just stays there on them and then they shoot the seance and I don't I love that shot I guess I don't know much about cinematography but like that's one where I noticed like right now I'm watching a bunch of old Hitchcock movies nice and in about every movie there's one shot you see where it's like that was really cool like he'll either hold on something or it'll be like someone's asleep in a chair and he'll pan away and you'll see something happen that the main character doesn't know about then he'll pan back and like the character will wake up and so you have more insight and I don't know I just think it's cool to see people actually do different stuff with cameras other than like if you go see an Avengers movie you know it's just like cut 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 and stuff like that you might know more about that type of stuff than I do and I don't know if you recognize that scene like recognize that shot but yes. it stuck out to me I know what you're talking about I know a little bit about cinematography but I definitely wouldn't consider myself like super knowledgeable on it but yeah I think that's that can apply to a lot of scenes in this movie like even the scene at uh, Charlie's funeral whenever they're lowering the casket into the ground mm-hmm. and you kind of see the cutaway of the dirt and the camera is lowering itself through the dirt I thought that was really, really cool because most other movies would have just stopped where the casket hit the the line exactly. of the ground and you can't see it anymore. But no, they keep going just to kind of... Yeah, they pan about six feet down yeah. like where a body would be. And I think that kind of illustrates the downward spiral trajectory of the whole family after that point. It's like we have mm-hmm. gone way down and we cannot come back up from there. Yeah, and so I guess I'll I'll take that and go into the podcast I listened to with him and Robert Eggers is they're both huge Ingmar Bergman fans. Yes. I don't know if you've seen his movies. Yep. I've seen, Pers- <laughs> yeah. I've seen persona. I haven't seen very many of his things, but persona is, I mean, it's, it's a masterpiece basically. Yeah. Persona is like the main one where it's just like incredible close-ups of a character's face. And he also has incredible close-ups in this, like his close-ups of, Tony Collette, like the facial expressions that she does in this movie, she looks horrified, she looks sad. They're just incredible. And yeah, I didn't know anything about Bergman until I watched this movie and saw interviews with him. And then that's whenever I started watching his movies. And it's, yeah, he's incredible. His close ups are awesome. And you can see in this and in Midsummer, Ari Aster has incredible close-ups where like it just looks so simple it's just someone's face but there's just so much emotion in that like one shot it's almost like they go beyond human at that point it's like it's just Mm -hmm. sheer emotion it's like more like a painting than it is a picture yeah that's so true and that's like right now i'm looking at the back of the blu-ray and they're all literally just like close-ups of someone's face. It's like Tony Collette screaming, 
the little girl looking creepy. <laughs> yeah. Peter with his nose all busted. Like, yep. What is going on? Yeah. Incredible. That's one thing with the with the tense close-ups that he chooses to use in this, is it doesn't give you any room to escape from mm-hmm. what you're being shown. There's nothing else you can focus on except for just how these characters look and how they feel. That's so true. Yeah. I can understand, like, if, you, if they just literally showed you, like, close-ups of Tony Collette during this movie, you can see, like, this does not look like a fun movie no. to have to <laughs> act in. No. They, it's like they were just having to make themselves miserable all the time. Yeah. But it worked out great. Yeah, it's incredible. So, though the seance, they end up getting Charlie. They're trying to bring Charlie back, and you have to have some type of, like, a totem from Inception. Yes. And they use her book, like, that she used to draw in. And it... They don't like it. They're like, okay. Like, Peter and Steve are like, nope, we're not doing this anymore. And Tony Collette starts... They, like... She starts talking in Charlie's voice. And it's creepy. And they're just like, nope, I don't like this. And, like, she's like, why are you all staring at me? Where's Mom? And it... That's when you're like, okay, well, she's possessed. And then they throw water on her. And Andy's just like, why did you do that? And, like... Peter's yeah. just crying. There's so like, much crying happened? in this movie. There is. There's a lot of crying scenes. That's why, like, I can't believe he was a method actor for, like, that sounds like a terrible, yeah. however long you have to shoot a movie, I don't know. But it does like not a few seem months at least. Yeah. I mean, imagine Maybe just for... having to act like that at work for months and yeah. not being <laughs> able to just let loose or act normal, keeping yourself in that mindset that entire time. It's insane. I think that had quite an impact on you. Yeah. And then he's in Jumanji and he's just like a normal teenage guy. Yeah. It's like that seems much better to method act. Oh yeah. As. I'm just happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they end up like the the book, the drawing book that is their link to Charlie. It ends up it's drawings of Peter but his eyes are marked out. They're like X'd out. And he just looks dead and it's terrifying. And then Annie finds it. And she's like, hey, I found this. It's going to hurt him unless we destroy it. But she tried to destroy it and her arm like caught on fire when the book started catching on fire. Couldn't put it out. She took the book out and put it out and her arm went out. So she's like, okay, I'm linked to this. We have to destroy this and it'll kill me. And that's also when she's like, hey, Steve, my mom's dead body's upstairs. I just found it there. Actually, she doesn't know it's her mom. She's like, it looks like my mom, but I can't tell because there's no head. Yeah, and then Steve accuses her of being the one that dug up the grave. Yeah, and he's like, you did it, didn't you? Like, I, which is kind of crazy. Could you imagine accusing someone of, like, digging up their dead mom? (laughs) It's insane. Making it headless and just putting it in the attic maybe only after seeing what he's seen (laughs) that's true (laughs) yeah but I that's that's kind of like the culmination she's like I can't destroy this book I need you to do it I love you so much I can't do it and he he like grabs the book and he's like I'm not I'm not gonna do this like you need mental help like this isn't safe 
And then she's like, oh, screw it. She grabs the book, puts lighter fluid on it, throws it in the fire, and then he just bursts into flames. He's, like, screaming, and she's like, it's another close-up of her, like, terrified face. And then the light goes over her, signaling that Payman is possessing her, and then she just goes down to a serious face. Yeah, it's such a subtle little change, and it's so quick, but I love the way her face shifts. Yeah. Because it, it is like something really came over her and just completely changed her. Because it's like she exactly. is just gone. She's just a vessel for him now. Yeah. And then this is where I would say it changes. Like, there's three acts in the movie. Yep. And after this, like, just be ready for a wild ride. This is the final act of this movie is, like, my favorite act in any movie. It's so weird. It just... We'll get into it now. So Let's do it. One of the changes from the screenplay book to this is that the cult wears red robes in the screenplay. And this, it's just naked people. That's an interesting change. <laughs> yeah, and I like it because it makes it much weirder, and I just like weird It's stuff. definitely creepier than if they yeah. just were to have red robes on. Because when you think of, like satanic cult you think red ropes yeah so having naked people creeping out and peeking through the shadows is much more unsettling than people wearing what you'd expect them to be wearing yeah and i think it's the first shot of this is like so steve burns like he dies during the day and peter's upstairs asleep and it's a shot of the exterior of the house and it's broad daylight then it just snaps and it's dark and if you look closely standing outside like around the trees they're like barely noticeable it's naked people really i never yes. i never noticed that yeah i wow. noticed it i think it's like my third viewing i was just like is that after Holy it snaps crap. tonight or is that at the daytime after too? It, after, after, after it tonight? snaps tonight yeah and it's barely noticeable and you're just like holy crap like there's naked people but, like, like you didn't notice. So, the first time you see a naked person, Peter goes downstairs and sees his dad's burnt to a crisp just laying there. And he's like, what's going on? And he, like, hears something behind him, turns around, and there's just a naked man, like, standing in the closet. I think he's waving. He's smiling. And you, yeah, like, he's you smiling like, see his teeth kind of shining. It's crazy. It's yeah. scary. <laughs> exactly. Well, I guess I'll go to before this. Peter wakes up in his room. And in the screenplay book, it says, like, sound of a piano crashing and a piano wire snapping. <clears throat> and so I've noticed that's something I have to explain to people at the end of the movie. Because the piano wire plays a role. Yeah. And everyone's just like, Even what though just you happened? don't see how she got it. <laughs> exactly. And so you're like, well, if you listen closely, you can hear something crashing and then the sound of like a piano key. And then Peter wakes up from that sound and goes downstairs, sees his dad's burnt to a crisp. Also, I missed this part, but whenever it shows Peter wake up is when what we were talking about earlier. Annie's up in the top yes. corner of his room. And it's so creepy because you're like, she, 
the movie hasn't been that so far. It hasn't been someone floating in the air. Yeah, she like swims through the <clears throat> air out of the room. Yeah. And yeah, that's so I thought it was funny. It's like she's standing up there and it's creepy. And she like swims in the air out of the room and he turns and looks and he's like, "Okay, nothing's there." Goes downstairs and it's him like looking at his dad's dead body and she's up in the behind him again. And whenever he turns, it's the naked guy standing there. He's smiling. He's creepy waving. And then it turns back, and his mom's in the corner of the room in front of him, chasing him. Chases him up the stairs. And this is another cool thing, is whenever he's going down the stairs, the attic was closed off. Whenever he's running back, the stairs are down waiting for him yep. to go up. Just like so with everything up. else, it was predetermined and planned. Yeah. And he runs up there shuts it behind them and that's another thing is like every time they've been in the attic it's just been pitch black and they've had a flashlight this time he's up there and it's light but we know it's dark outside so why is it light oh there's a bunch of candles and he he shuts the door and it's his mom like i love the shot but it's his mom up on the ceiling just headbutting yeah because like you just hear knocking cool at first, and you think she's probably punching the door or whatever, but whenever it switches and you see her slamming her face into it, oh my god. Yeah. She's like trying to get it, she's just slamming her face into it. And then he like walks further into the attic, and it's the. There's candles everywhere, there's the symbol, and then he like turns around. I don't know how his mom got up into the attic while she was beating her head or whatever. But I wondered that, too, the... on my rewatch last night. I was like, how did she get up yeah. there? But it's been shown that she can float through the air. So exactly. that's... Who knows? And, like, at the scene when he was downstairs before he saw the naked guy, she's in the corner behind him, and then it cuts to him turning and seeing the naked guy, and then she's across yeah, the, on the room other running on the floor. So I was like, maybe she can, like, teleport or Possibly. something. I don't know. That's The scene where she chases him out of the living room is probably the most, like, traditional horror scene yeah. or shot in this entire movie. Because you have that yeah, that, that cue, and she's chasing mm-hmm. him, and he goes up in the attic. That's the, that's the most traditional thing in this, I think. Yeah. And then it cuts to her when she's in the attic. Well, you hear... Especially, I watch movies with subtitles I usually on. do, too. Especially when I'm watching for yeah. detail, like, for something like this. Yeah. And it says, like, wire... I can't remember what it says. Or it's, like, flesh Flesh squelching or, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it cuts to it, and it's her with a piano wire around her neck, just sawing her neck off. And then it just starts getting faster and faster, and you hear the... Oh, it's so creepy. But that's the scene where I love watching this with other people. As we talked about earlier, like, I want to watch this movie with someone else so I can see their reaction to this person cutting off their own head with a piano wire. And the head just falls to the floor. And then it's, like, at the feet of more naked people. And he screams, jumps out the window, falls. And then... The light, the King Pain Finally light. settles in on him. Yep, settles on him. And then it just, like, evaporates on his body. 
And then he gets up and like Annie's headless corpse is floating <laughs> to the tree house and floating on its way up and so he's like well I guess that's where I'm supposed to go he goes up there and it's his whole family like the the dad's charred bodies there with his head cut off like Annie's there the grandma's body's there and then Charlie's head is up on one of those like I, statues or whatever that they made yeah. of Cayman it's got the crown yeah and then Joni's like this I think Joni calls Peter Charlie like hey Charlie we gave you a new host since your last one wasn't good enough or whatever we corrected your host um and now like you're here please I can't remember the line I don't think I wrote it down Please says, give us give us wisdom on all things that you know, and give us wealth and yeah. good familials. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, they took that from is some book about King Payman from like the twelfth century or whatever, and it had like that exact wording, and they just used that for the movie. That's cool. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, they did their research on King Payman, except I read. There's, so he's one of the nine kings of hell, and in the movie they say eight. Okay. Not sure why. I don't know. That's a, there's got to be like a reason behind that, I would think. Exactly. Everything in the movie is so like well so purposeful. Thought out, and they have like everything about King Payment is accurate, and then they have that one thing that's off, and it's like there has to be a reason behind it. When I first like read about it, I was like, oh, it's probably for sequels or whatever, but he doesn't seem like the type no, of I don't, director. I don't think we'd yeah. ever get a Hereditary 2. Yeah. And I don't want I don't one. either. Like, this, it, yeah. it is the perfect length, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. It yeah. gives you its so, ideas, and it closes them all out in really satisfying ways, I think. So, an interesting thing, with this and Midsummer is like, what's what's the world like after this? So, like, there's one thing of do does the cult like cover everything up somehow like and everyone just forgets about this family or does like the police come and they see like headless people and the son's missing like I don't know I think that's kind of an interesting I wondered about that too like what does the world or even just this town look like after this and I think the answer to that is that it depends on how powerful payment is Exactly. Is he just some being that's going to like torment the world and be able to do whatever he wants? Like, is he that powerful, mm-hmm. or is he just powerful enough for these people to want to worship him and have him be their leader? I don't know. And yeah, I like and that you seemed, don't get the answer to that. Exactly. It seemed weird whenever he's reborn in Peter's body, is they have to like introduce him to himself. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, now do they have to be like, teach him like hey you have all this power you can do whatever you want and also like what are his powers like is he like a superhero or is he gonna be like if I want this I can just will this to happen I can just like make you give me a thousand dollars or whatever possibly because um in one of the books that the mom has with all the pictures of her and Joan it Mm -hmm. says uh, riches to the conjurer. 
So the people yeah. that bring payment into the, into the world are supposed to receive a bunch of rewards for doing so, I guess. Yeah. I also wondered about that. This is more for, like, movies in general, but do you think that's a real book that they, like, took this line from? Or did they, like, make a book and put this in it? I don't know. I, I would think it's probably a prop book, and I think they probably, mm-hmm. like... Um, compiled things from different sources because like you said they yeah. did their research on King Payman for sure I mean mm-hmm. before seeing this I didn't I had never heard of Payman before I thought that it Same. was just a character made for the movie and then later on I learned more about the mythology behind it and I was like wow that's really interesting I figured that was just a made up character but mm-hmm. no this is one of those movies where like when I left the theater I had to like google like oh me too what just happened me too to make sure like I got it all which I like doing anyways after I see a movie. Same. I like, always love seeing what other people have to say. Yeah. And definitely helps you. Like, I just watched Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space oh, Odyssey man. for the first really? time. Wow. And, I, yeah, I was like, I think I understand it, but I'm going to watch a YouTube video. And then I did. I just loved it even more because I was like, that is what I thought, but I didn't catch yeah. all this that was going on. I, it kind of helps me compartmentalize my own thoughts on something whenever I can hear what other people have to say about it, too. Especially yeah. those hey, finer details you might miss on a first watch, or even on rewatches, you can miss things, too. But exactly. Especially in a movie that's like also, 2001. Yeah, that's also kind of the a benefit of this podcast. Yeah. As you know, people can watch the movie and then listen to this and be like, oh, I didn't catch that. Like, the... The people standing outside naked. Absolutely, it's, it's literally just there for like one second, and then it it goes away. And you know, people are like, "Oh, I didn't catch that." That's why I love talking to other people about movies so much, is because there's Same. always going to be things that I may not get, or other people may not get, and we can always learn a lot from talking to each other. Yeah, exactly. So, do you have anything else you want to talk about with this movie? I think I'm. I've said all that I have written down to specifically say but I can talk about anything um give me just a sec it's a bit out of um order chronologically but I did want to mention in the classroom before he starts slamming his face down on the desk whenever Mm -hmm. he looks up he sees the rear view mirror in his vision I thought that was really interesting but um I don't really have a ton else to go into I think we've pretty much kind of got it I've just got my my key takeaway and like theme of the movie basically Mm -hmm. and um my key takeaway from hereditary after watching it multiple times and taking notes and thinking about it for a long time is that hereditary is a family drama that spirals into a nightmarish horror that wrestles with how generational trauma and mental illness can be inherited and how it can corrode a family from the inside out i love it that's what we got to end on well, thank you for having me, Alex. It was a great time talking to you. Hope I can return. Yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll definitely be back for midsummer. Um, and anything else, if you're like, hey, I love this movie, let's talk about it. Or if I see one that I'm like, hey, you should check this out, then we can talk about it. I'm always it. open to recommendations, but I could probably make an entire list for you. There you go. <laughs> um, so, rate this movie from one to three. No question. It's got to be a three. I mean, it's yeah, it's same. my favorite horror movie. <laughs> I love pretty much everything about it. The cast is fantastic. And mm-hmm. um, Ari Aster, I had never seen anything of his before this, and he really blew me away. Yeah, incredible. I'm also 
giving it a three, obviously. I put it in... Do you have Letterboxd? I do. I don't use it as much as I should, but I do have it. I've yeah. been meaning to start using it more consistently. Yeah, I have, like, a favorite movies and a rating, and this is in my favorite movie list, and I rated it five out of five. Um, I did actually make a Friends with Cinefits list. Cool. Where it has each movie we've done, and then right next to it is what my recommendation is. So my recommendation for this movie, it was going to be something else, but I'm just now changing it. It's The Invisible Man that just came out, I think it was this year? Yep, this year. Yeah, and it's for the same reason, like, it's suspenseful, and it builds on, like, a relationship, and just the entire movie just gets more tense, more suspenseful, and it's never, like, I want to look away... It's just like a, holy cow, this is insane type of scary, I guess. Yeah, I can vouch for that. I actually really enjoyed that movie. I didn't know what to expect, because I didn't think the trailers looked all that great. Yeah. But after I watched it, I was surprised. I was like, I really enjoyed that. I thought they did that really well. Yeah, and Elizabeth Moss is an incredible actress. She's awesome. So th- that's why I saw it, because I just finished watching Mad Men, and I saw that was coming out in like a month, and I was like, she's incredible i gotta go see this and yeah i i love the movie it reminds me of did you ever see upgrade i haven't but i know it's the same director okay. lee one okay yeah um, i've been meaning to watch that i think i have it i don't have it on blu-ray but i have it recorded on my dvr or something to watch yeah i know i've got it somewhere i've been meaning to catch up on it yeah i mean i like the invisible man better but it's definitely the same type of experience watching them so with that being said do you have anything that you would like to promote i know you do so just i've actually got two things here real quick um first off like alex said earlier i review movies on shot reverse shot film.com and i'd appreciate if you check that out and i also play bass in a band we're called a modest proposal we're from evansville indiana and um, we have an album called haste out on apple music and spotify pretty much anywhere else you can listen to music online so check it out if you'd like Nice. I'm, I will link those in the show notes. I've always wanted to say that. Everyone in podcasts is like, links in the show notes. So I'm saying it. Hey, guys, links in the show notes. Um, and our next movie is going to be, it's a horror movie, The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock. I haven't seen it, but my mom claims it's terrifying, so I guess we'll find out. And then... Oh, yeah, that's who the guest is. It's my mom. Jeannie McAllister. One of the coolest people ever. And I hope you guys listen to it and enjoy it. And I hope you guys like this episode. So, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Kane, do you have anything else you want to say? Just want to say thank you for having me, Alex. It was nice to meet you, and I really enjoyed getting to talk about this movie. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, thank you. Everybody have a great day or night.